Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you had a good, productive, eventful, is it a holiday? Seemed like one. We had family in town, uh, so my wife's aunt was in town, and we got to see a lot of things around Brisbane, so it was indeed a good time for me. And coming back into this, it was really refreshing, too. Uh, who was in my class this morning in here? We just spent like two hours talking about justification, so I'm very pumped up. Let me settle myself down by some prayer, and then we'll jump back in to the great mysteries of God in Ephesians. Lord, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for your word and for your gospel, and most importantly, for your son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have access, and with boldness we can approach God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And thanks for your word today that as we come close to you in the word, we might be built up together as a community continually. And Lord, I pray for us as we listen here this morning and as we participate in classes and as we get back into the flow of things that you would help us to be empowered with your power so that we might enjoy all that we're doing and be able to do it with great diligence and joy and peace in our inmost being. I pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's really interesting that we had that interview this morning because that does sort of sum up where I'm going to take the preaching. And I, again, Lee, you focused on the end, the kind of doxology at the end there, which is a prayer. And I think you could just look at that section and you could look at different sections of this and preach maybe different messages. What I'm going to preach on is I'm going to focus on these verses. I'm just going to read them again. So even just as I read them, just kind of let them soak into your mind. Uh, and that is verses 18 through 19. Paul prays that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It's this idea that knowing the love of Christ is related to our knowing and experiencing the fullness of God. That's what I want to focus on this morning. But I'll take us through that. So over this break, uh, I'll just start off with this. This is somewhat unrelated to the text. This is a barbecue culture in Australia. And I love this. I love that we can be outside all the time. And so I was trying to show our guest my skills on our new barbecue, uh, which is, it's, it's a gas grill, so it's not... It's not truly Australian, I guess. It's not, so it's not like if you go to Lee's house and you get a good coal cooked chicken or something. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did the thing where I turned the grill on and it was supposed to be heating up, but it was just filling up with fuel. <laughs> and I opened it and I said, this has not heated up. Let me start it. And it was doing this for like 10 minutes. Let me start it again. And I put the ignition thing on and I'm leaning over. Stupid thing. You know, I'm leaning into it and it goes, whoo! And this massive flame singed all the hairs. Just, you might notice that the eyebrows, they were like more closer to Rowan Williams a little bit as we went on. They have been cut down a little bit. They needed it. In fact, they need more. Um, but that was how I started off my uh, holiday. So singeing my eyebrows with, uh, and then I, I didn't know whether to rub. Uh, you know, aloe cream on them or barbecue sauce or whatever, but we, <laughs> they've now been cut down to size. The, the vacation went well because primarily because I have 
an iPhone with a GPS on it. Another thing about living in Brisbane, since I haven't grown up here, as many of you maybe are new to the area, one of the great things about cell phones is you have these GPS devices. I use an app called Waze. Uh, a lot of people use Google Maps, but I use Waze, and that gets me from place to place. In fact, in the first week when I came here, I needed to use – I walked to work. I live right up the street in Tawang, but I needed to use the app to walk into work because I think I would be totally lost. With, does anyone else here use GPS like religiously? Yeah. Without a GPS, I would be totally – I wouldn't even be able to walk down the street in Tawang to this location. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I think – Smartphones have become a real particularly important part of our lives for things like that. They make life easier. They may make life good. Here's the one problem with them, though. I kind of wish I could go back to the days when the flip phone was the technology. Two things you could do, call people and text people. That's about it. Maybe you could play a little game, but it wasn't a very good game. It wasn't like a real computer game. I kind of wish I could go back to those days because as good as smartphones are, the problem with smartphones is that they also tend to distract you. Right? There's a sense that you have to continually fill them with stuff in order to be satisfied. Uh, so, yeah, we fill them with apps. The thing that I fill my smartphone with, and probably you, uh, are pictures and videos. I am videoing everything. None of it is justifiable in terms of the data that it is taking up. I am snapping photographs, multiple photographs, sets of photographs of everything. Every spaghetti dinner that I cook is on my cloud somewhere in 20 photos. Friends, it's just spaghetti on a plate with sauce, perhaps with meatballs. But I've got about 10 to 15 pictures every time I cook spaghetti. And to me, there's a sense I've got to photograph it. I've got to record it. I've got to store it up. I've got to fill this thing up with as much content as I have because experiences are meaningful. And I want to capture those experiences. I want to take that meaning and hold on to it. I want to relish this. I want to look at that spaghetti next week and the week after and the week after and then take more pictures of the next week's spaghetti and other stuff too, but mostly pasta. And as we go, as we go on, right, we continue to have the sense that we need to fill, 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 but it's never full enough. And then when we fill the phone, what do we do? We just get more room on the cloud. And so then we can perpetually fill without end. And this idea that cell phones cause us to fill things, I think, is interesting. And it's, I'm going to relate this to Ephesians, and it's not going to be to make the claim that they use cell phones in Ephesus, <laughs> but we'll get there. The other thing about cell phones that I find is interesting is the technology has been increasing so much in the past couple of years that it's almost like every couple of years you need a new phone, right? And so about a year ago at this time was the first time that I came here to Australia. I almost didn't make it because I needed to get an electronic visa the day of to fly out. You thought it was another state of America. I just thought it was part of America. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Um, so I come over here, and I get in line at Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, and they said, if you have a Samsung Galaxy 7 phone, please bring it up to the counter. You cannot take it on the plane. It is banned from the plane. And I said, amen, because we all know that God prefers iPhones and Apple products. It says in Psalm 17, verse 8, that we are the Apple of God's eye, not that we are the Samsung of God's eye. And this is because, hear that, that's a word for you. It's a word of God for you. Literally taken from the word of God for you, from me. Enjoy. Okay? Uh, and so 
they made you surrender these phones. And why? Does anyone know why they were making you surrender these phones other than the fact that they were? Yeah, because phones do a lot of things that are great. One of the things you don't want them to do is explode or to catch fire in your pants or in your purse or in, in your backpack. Because that's what these phones are doing. You couldn't bring them on the, um, on the plane. And so people would, uh, people would leave their phones and I guess get them back somehow at the end. And I, I, you had to ask, why were these phones catching on fire? And the reason actually they were catching on fire, I don't know if you know this, is that they had tried to pack, they had tried to fill so much power into this tiny lithium battery, because they're quite thin, that they had actually overfilled the battery. And by increasingly filling the battery into the small space, they had left only this little piece of metal, this little tiny sheet of metal, like tinfoil, in between the polarities of the bat battery. And inevitably, when you drop the phone, what happens? That metal breaks. And what was meant to make the phone really powerful now makes it explode when the positive and negative polarity comes in. Boom. And your pocket's on fire. Not what you want out of a good cell phone. Again, not what happened through iPhones. Just saying. But, um, you know, the point is, as I'm thinking of this, this desire to fill the phone with content, and even from the manufacturer's point of view, to fill the phone with as much power and potential as you can. Then it's better. Then it works. Then it's really, really good and really valuable. That is, I think, an image of what we try to do with our spiritual lives. Uh, and that is where I'm going to take us in Ephesians today. Um, this idea that what we have in Christ is not enough. Actually, in order to experience true fullness, we need more. We need more religious stuff that we can add on to what we already have in Christ to help us achieve the fullness of God. And that's what Paul's getting at in, in Ephesians 3, I think, and beyond Ephesians. You see, the Ephesians were trying to fill their spirituality with additional things. They were trying to bring in Jewish superstitions uh, carried over from the Jewish religion to add on to what the work that Christ had already done. And these things were mixed in with the synchristic kind of Greco-Roman view that you had to have amulets to protect from cosmic powers. Mm -hmm. And you had to have additional religious exercises to protect you from what are called the cosmic forces of power. You see this in Galatians. You see it in Ephesians towards the end of the book. And you see it in Colossians. In fact, in Colossians, they were actually teaching in the church at Colossae that you had to worship, you had to uh, fast so that you would have a mystical experience with the angels when you were worshiping. You would actually be so tripping out from not eating that you would have a, a mystical experience with the angels. And that was what you needed to truly experience what they called the fullness. This is a big theme in Colossians and Ephesians. And it is so striking to me that Paul's answer to that is that true fulfillment, true fullness of Christian faith, of spirituality, of joy, is actually not acquired through gaining or gathering anything in, but through giving everything up. True fulfillment is come not from acquiring anything, it's from relinquishing everything. And Paul is going to say that when he talks about being filled with the fullness of God by embodying the love of God. That is a paradox. Because what do we know about the love of God? As we start to get into this, we know that the love of God is most powerfully displayed on the cross of Christ, where Jesus pours out his life, where Jesus empties himself of all dignity, of all security, of everything, 
so that we might have life. And the paradox of the gospel is that when we embody that love, Christ dwells in us. And though we may seem empty to the world, we are more full than any religion, any philosophy, and any of the ways that human beings could bring us to. We experience the fullness of God when we pour ourselves out fully for the other. It is fullness through emptiness. And it is about the emptiness of fulfillment that we're going to talk today. And so let's get into the text now that we've talked about cell phones. Um, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, check this out now, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in your inner being. The first thing that I just want to note in the text is that the way that we experience the fullness of God through embodying the love of God is by the supernatural power of God himself. It is not through the efforts of human beings. It is not through the activity of human beings. It is through the divine indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit. Again, consider the fact that you who believe are indwelt, are a temple of God's Holy Spirit. And that is the God who's created every atom of existence in the cosmos is dwelling in you and in us together. This is a powerful thing. So it's God's power in, it says, in your inner being. Here's what I'm going to just bring a little bit of the geekiness in. In your inner being, in the original translation, really should be unto the inner man. You say, well, hold on. What does that mean? Unto the inner man. There's a theme that runs through Paul between the old man and the new man. And the old man is a reference to Adam, always, in Romans 5, and I think here as well. And the new man, who is the new man? Jesus Christ. And so, even though that's a weird way to phrase the verse, in your inner being, I think is better translated, that he will grant to you power to be strengthened by his spirit, which results in the inner man. And then it says... So that, but really in Greek it would be, here's what I mean. And there's a word for that in grammar, but I'm not going to get into it. Here's what I mean. I'll just say it. It's called an exegetical hinna, right? <laughs> so just in case you want to have dinner conversation, hey, honey, it's an exegetical hinna. Um, in your, so the inner man would be in your spirit. What I mean is, Paul is saying, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Now, here's the thing that's important. Christ dwells in our hearts. This is if you just fall and trace the text. Christ dwells in our hearts, and we know the love of Christ in us. When, he, when the new man is formed in us, when we're rooted and grounded in love. In Colossians, that same phrase, rooted and grounded, is rooted and grounded in Christ. So the fullness of God comes from us when Christ himself dwells in us. It's not just that in our inner selves we're experiencing God. It is that Christ himself is dwelling in our hearts. It is that the God of love himself is being formed in our hearts. And when Christ dwells in our hearts, and when Christ is being formed in our hearts, and in our inner self, when he himself is forming us, then we know the love of God. This is a love of God that surpasses knowledge, Paul says, and it fills us with fullness. 
But I don't think that we as the church have fully grasped this teaching. And here's why I don't think we've grasped it. Because even though we're not wearing magical amulets anymore like they did in Ephesus, and most of us are not trying to practice you know, superstitious um, practices carried over from Judaism, there are other things, are there not, that we add to Jesus Christ that are supposed to bring us fullness rather than the simple embodiment of Christ's love. And I think you, you could list hundreds of those things. Some of those things, I'll list a couple, would be in addition to Jesus Christ dwelling in my heart, being formed in me through embodying love, I need health. I think health is a great thing. I think it's great that you, you know, this country is committed to providing health care to all its citizens, which is not the case in my country. We're trying to get that to happen, but it's many years away. So I'm not trying to say that health doesn't matter. Ideally, it's good when we're all healthy. But here's a note, just a reminder. Um, we're all going to die someday. Okay, that's the end of the sermon now. <laughs> that would be the worst. Someday, we're all going to die. Let's pray. No, uh, I, I think it's, we have to remember that we pray for healing, we pray for health. But this myth that if you're a faithful Christian, you will be healthy, you will definitely be healed, is totally a myth. Paul's persecuted. Paul's shipwrecked. Paul's in prison. All the original apostles are martyred, right? They didn't have a cushy life. Jesus himself did not become sort of the life of the party in ancient Palestine. He became so hated for what he did that he was crucified. Um, health is not an additional thing that we need to seek in addition to Christ loving us to be full. I would say because health is not, uh, we're gonna, we have to face the fact that even if we're healthy today, eventually someday we will die. And health is not the gospel. Resurrection, life is the gospel. But have you seen Christian TV lately? I don't know what it's like in this country. Uh, someone told me it's better than in the States. I find that hard to believe. But in the States, you have lots of folks on Christian TV who will say things like, if you just sow a seed of $49.95, let me tell you what we're going to do. You're going to get healed, and then you'll get the prayer handkerchief. <laughs> right? <laughs> I now look at I'm full of the Holy Ghost, right? I had I, I I believe in the Holy Spirit, but first of all, Mr. Preacher or Mrs. 49.95 has already been spent on all the extra space in my iPhone to take pictures of spaghetti and stuff. <laughs> I can't. Second of all, I don't want your Holy Spirit hanky, right? Unless it magically heals every cold. I mean, I guess you don't use it to blow your nose. It would be sort of like this. But, but look, if God wants to heal you and God intends to heal you, he will do it with or without handkerchief, right? He will do it. But ultimately, if you're healed now, you will still die. And if your gospel is, I'm going to be healed now and God wants me to be healthy forever, sorry, eventually that's going to run out. And what people hear sometimes in America is, you don't have enough faith. Your faith, the reason that fullness isn't happening in you is because you don't have enough faith. You need to acquire health. You need to gather health in. You need to get more faith. And that's how you'll be full. But really, Paul's message here is the way to divine fullness is through emptying oneself. It is not through gathering in anything, including health or a quantity of faith. 
It is through giving it up for the sake of the other. It's through embodying Christ's love that we know the fullness of God. It looks like emptiness to the world, but spiritual fulfillment comes not from acquiring, but from relinquishing everything. Right? That's what Paul's talking about. The other thing, of the many things that we could talk about, is let's just talk about wealth. Again, this idea that you'll have, if you have wealth, you will be happy. And, and in fact, God wants you to have wealth, and you will have wealth if you give him enough money. But Jesus died practically naked on a cross with nothing, right? Um, Christianity, where it's strongest, is in parts of the world where people have nothing. Um, it cannot be that in order to be spiritually full, you need health, you need wealth. It cannot even be that you need enough theological knowledge. In fact, as you're sometimes finding, the more theological knowledge you have, sometimes it's, it becomes more difficult to follow God as you wrestle with those things. It's kind of a spiritual exercise where it strengthens you, but it also challenges you. It's not the fact that you need more books or you need more money or you need more health or you need more handkerchiefs or you need whatever to fill up that spiritual storage cloud so that it's full, 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 full. It is in the emptying that you're full. It is in the relinquishing that you find everything that you have in the fullness of God, which you already have in Christ. And as that's formed in you, the inner man, Jesus, in you, becomes part of who you are. It's a form of knowing that really, uh, as we talked about in one of the last times I preached, a form of knowing that you get through living it out and doing it. Right? And let me, let me bring it to this point here. And when I end today, I'm going to end with the prayer of St. Francis, which um, kind of, I think, really captures this really well. This idea that we get everything through giving everything. Okay, so my, as you know, my daughter was in the hospital twice. The first time I preached, that's the first day she was in the hospital. Two weeks later, she was in the hospital again, and I was with her through the night, and then we came in and had class the next morning, and I looked like a zombie. Some of you had class with me. Um, <clears throat> that night, we had to leave in an ambulance uh, from Tuong over to the Children's Hospital in Brisbane. And it was just... Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, if you listen to the Gospels of health and wealth, I would have been like, man, I'm totally getting it wrong. My faith is not sufficient. Because I went into that hospital with $2,000, and I paid the $2,000 to get into the hospital that night. And if I, I, I'm told that I'll get some of that back through Bupa, um, which would be like, come on, Lord. Whatever I have to do, I'll send the $49.95. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, so I was emptying, literally, the bank account. Um, and being in a hospital was not a sign of spiritual, you wouldn't think a sign of spiritual fulfillment. This would be great. My daughter can't breathe. Let's go to the hospital and be spiritually full. But I have to say that the closest I've ever felt, the most alive I've ever felt in, in, in that moment of vulnerability was just laying in a bed while my two-year-old daughter was, had an oxygen mask on her face. It wasn't because I had money. It wasn't because I had health. It wasn't because I had all the answers. It was because I was just with her and being with her in a moment of suffering, loving her, that I felt somehow exceedingly full. Now, the week before when I left here and went to the hospital to see my wife, I was just like, this is terrible, this is terrible. Let me get to the hospital. Get to the hospital. And my wife is totally fine. Tara's just sitting there. She's absolutely fine. And I'm going, how much better is she 
than I am. Look at her. She's not even stressed out at all. I can't even prepare for lectures without getting anxious. And she's here in the midst of this problem, able to sustain it. How is that possible? It's a strange thing that when you pour yourself out for another person, there's a form of peace that comes to it. When you empty yourself out for another, there's a form of fullness that comes to it. When you give everything for someone else, you experience the fullness of life, the fullness of God, the fullness of all that Jesus Christ is. Now you experience it imperfectly, but just that small taste of what the new creation will be like when not only for the people that I love will I experience that, I will experience that for my enemy. Think about that. Would you look face to face with your enemy and be able to feel, I would do everything for you. I would give it all up for you because you're worth it to God. No, most of us would say. In that way, I'm nothing like Jesus. But I want to become more like him. I want to be transformed by him. And so we start to say, what religious program can I sign up for? What Bible study program can I get? How many books can I read? How much money can I get? How much health can I get? What can I do on top of Jesus to get me to that level so I can be more like him? And the answer is to pour it all out. All that stuff's important. But that's underneath the pouring out. The way to spiritual fulfillment, Paul says, is through knowing the love of God. It's a love of God that surpasses knowledge. And it comes about not through acquisition, not through gathering in, but through pouring out for the sake of the other. Through relinquishing everything. And I think that's what I felt in that hospital, was that in just being there with my daughter and pouring out everything, literally finance and love, in that moment, you feel most alive. And I think... What if we could feel like that for each other? See, that's not appropriate. We're not all family members. We shouldn't have that kind of affection. That's not psychologically good. But I think that's what God is calling us towards as we work to the new creation. That the church would be a microcosm, not of religious goods and services, not a provider of religious stuff, but a community that says, we are a community that's breaking into the present and learning how to love like Jesus. Do you know what it says in Ephesians? As it goes on, it says, don't walk in the ways of the world. That's not the way you learned Christ. There's this sense that as Christians, our faith matters. And our faith, when it's wedded with love, becomes the thing that transforms us and it transforms the world. Hear this again. I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And in that way, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. The only way to know Christ's love is to live Christ's love. Jesus says in John 15, if you abide with me, you'll keep my commandments. Here's my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Right? To have Christ abide and to dwell in you is to know a love that is characterized by complete relinquishing of everything for everyone. And the call of Jesus Christ on your heart is not simply to have cognitive faith in him, not simply to build up a knowledge base of faith in him, but to let faith in him be connected with love for one another and to transform your whole self. In that way, Christ dwells in you. In that way, in the inner self, Christ is formed in you. And in that way, the world will be transformed through us together as we embody that for one another. And so I want to challenge you that when you take a congregation, when you do ministry, whether you're worship leading or doing chaplaincy, whatever you're doing, 
even for your family. And the tendency is, what can you give me in addition to Jesus? The simple answer can be, I can give you nothing except for Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead. Right? And I can give you nothing except for pouring myself out completely for you. That is the essence of everything we're studying. It is the art of giving it all up for the sake of the other. If we miss that, we could do every program in the world. This church will never grow. No church will grow. The only thing that will grow, uniting that will grow, churches in a post-Christian culture is radical love that breaks into the present and says, you are so valuable to God that I would die for you. And when you look in the face of an enemy, you can say that. That is the love of Jesus being formed in you. That is the fullness of God. There would be nothing else that will fill you more than that. And I'm preaching to myself as much as to you that um, God would show me how to give and thereby experience fullness rather than trying to fill myself. Let me pray the prayer of St. Francis for you. Um, you may have heard this prayer before. It's an ancient prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And as I was preparing the sermon, I just thought, this reminds me of the prayer of St. Francis. So let me pray this, and then I'll, I'll pray a little bit after that, and then we'll um, have a meal together and sing and stuff. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Master, grant that I may not seek to be consoled as to console. To be loved as to love to be understood as to understand. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Lord God, help us today in a culture that says we need to continually fill up with experiences, with significance, everything that we hoard into our lives to have some sort of meaning. We just need more and more and more. Help us to adopt an ethos that is like the mind of Christ in Philippians 2. That although he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but gave himself up, making himself nothing. Giving himself up to obedience even to death on a cross. May that be the mind is being formed in us. For each other, for the church, and for this culture around us. A culture that sees fulfillment in emptiness, so that we can be built up even as we are poured out for the sake of others. In Jesus' name, amen.